Welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, sitting here with Arthur Black. Hello, everybody. And Arthur's feeling much better than our last episode through the magic of wine, coffee, and lack of sleep. And yeah, despite uh, sleep deprivation, I'm feeling all right today. And we are back talking about wine today, which uh, one of my favorite regions in the world, um, Alsace. And we have uh, Patrick Aledo. Hi. Uh, from Pierre Spar. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is um, this is a really cool opportunity. Um, Alsace, uh, like Ed, I really, really love this region. I love the wines. They're very food friendly. They're modestly priced in many cases. They're extremely age worthy. They're delicious. Um, and it's a region that a lot of people don't understand. They don't know about. They don't get. They have a hard time pronouncing the various vineyards. <coughs> that would be me. Um, and spending the morning with Patrick, I've already realized how much for years I've been butchering uh, so much of this blatantly. But hey, whatever. So um, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, and uh, Patrick, we were curious, uh, what did you have to drink last night? Well, I've, ooh, last night I have a very nice Pinot Meunier Red. It was the first time in my life and it was very, very good. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, first time you've ever tried Pinot Meunier? Yes, on red, yes, and uh, it was from California. It was very good. Delicious, absolutely delicious. Super fruity, not too tannins, perfect. End oh, of the I day, did. super super good. And I'm going to butcher this, but a.k.a. Schwartz Riesling and Moribe, if that's coming mm. from memory, synonyms for Pinot Meunier. Ed? Gosh, uh, I didn't have too much last night. Um, my sister-in-law just arrived from Thailand and brought me a bottle of Cholong Bay, which... Uh, which was heavily consumed on a prior episode. Um, but that was the last bottle I had, was the one that we drank uh, during the Cocktail Wonk episodes. If you this want to hear us get really drunk, that would be a... Oh, no, don't hear it. <laughs> yeah. Patrick, but, that's a very funky, intense, beautiful rum. Yeah, it's a rum agricole style uh, from oh. southern Thailand. Uh, oh, from I, did, I didn't know they produce. I didn't know. Um, I don't know much about the producers there. I have an inkling that they are either French or spend a lot of time in France mm. or Martinique or the mm -hmm. French West Indies, wherever, because uh, on their tour, they actually offer a tea punch uh, oh. uh, when you arrive. That's well, not very Thai. <laughs> no, that's totally not Thai. <laughs> well, we... Um, with Alsace, you have uh, a region that is um, very unique in some ways, uh, geographically, geologically, that is very rich in history, like many other areas. Um, and then we've got uh, Piercebar, which is a wonderful producer that goes way back in antiquity, arguably one of the oldest producers, uh, going back to 1680, we'll talk about. And then uh, address some of the food-savvy things and the cultural elements of, of the region as well. Um, and that's really hard to separate out from, from Alsace, right? I mean, every time I hear any sommelier, producer, resident of the region, it's hand-in-hand, hand, even more so than I think most other wine regions when we talk about it. Like, everyone's just as equally excited about how well the food tastes with the wine and vice versa. We are uh, very a food country. When I say country, it's because the Alsace, due to the is historical reason, develop our, their own identity. So we don't have the same food than the rest of France, not the same wines. Uh, regarding the, the, the wine, it's the only region where in France we speak about the grapes, not the appellation. 
uh, a French guy in France, uh, you can ask him, he could explain you, explain you that he enjoyed the Chablis, but he never drank any Chardonnay. And he didn't take care of that. That's a damn good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's the only appellation in France that can do Riesling, right? Uh, now, unfortunately for us, not. not. What, hold on. <laughs> what the hell happened? What's new? Uh, it's the... the we, we were not lucky with the um, Europe Council. Now, it's national list. So, Riesling is available in France. You can call it Riesling from Languedoc, for example, it's forbidden, but you can produce Riesling in Languedoc. Good, good luck if you want right, to. Right, you, you can, but... You can. Uh, and right. some start to produce uh, Gewürztraminer in Languedoc. I don't really want to drink yeah, a, I don't a Languedoc either. Riesling, I don't, I don't think. But you mentioned it, um, that it's very unique, um, To that the food is very unique in the area, and... I think that's and because of the uh, location in France where this is. Maybe you can explain why that's so different in the proximity to Germany. Okay. So, uh, I hope you don't have enough too much French from Alsace here because <laughs> I, will, I, I have a risk to not have a lot of French after. But <laughs> historically, uh, Alsace was mostly on the German parts. It was not the name of German, it was not Prussia, it was before. Because by the past, the real border between what they call it France and what you can call Germany, it was the Black Forest, oh, no, sorry, the Vosges Mountain. It was not right. the Rhine River. So it was the mountain range. It was a mountain, the border was a mountain. The reason why you can see on the crater of all the Vosges Mountain, plenty of very old castle. A little bit destroyed, but plenty, plenty. So I think Alsace, spend more time on the German part than the French part. Because the current border at this point is the mm-hmm. Rhine River. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And little geography lesson for those <laughs> of you out there. It's extremely important culturally to your food, uh, point with the food mm-hmm. and also with the wines. Um, Alsace is it's on the eastern side of the Vosges mountain range where all the castles that Patrick uh, mentioned are the fortified castles. And then you got the Black Forest probably about 70 miles or so mm-hmm east um and then you've got the the rhine or uh, the rin river um kind of dense that are um, in between and mm-hmm. um what are the the primary cities in alsace oh strasbourg strasbourg it's the most popular city it, it because also because it's the the capital one of the capital for the european council so strasbourg oh, okay. is the most popular in and that's in the north of the region yes it's in the north of the region yes yeah. but the, the capital of the wine from alsace is the city of colmar in the center of alsace and that's about 50 miles south yeah yes and that's kind of smack dab right in the middle right yeah it's yeah. really on the on the middle but the bulk of the wine region is in between those two cities excuse me the yes. most of the vineyards oh, the most of the vineyards it's uh uh, between the south of Strasbourg to 20 miles on the south of Colmar. The, the, the vineyard, it's in kilometers, it's 100, 120 kilometers. So it's very long, north, yes, long, yes, long yes. north and south, yeah, and yeah, then very yeah, narrow yeah. east and no, west. No, no. All right, no, so you get short. an 80-85 mile stretch between yeah. those two cities. Um, all the vineyards, for the most part, are planted on the western side in the foothills of the Vosges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some on the plain, for mostly more for the, the Cremant, 
for example. But uh, the ground crew, the good stuff. The ground crew are on the Vosges, on the, the small hill. On the yeah, the many wine regions out there, mid-slope seems to be best for, quote, ground crews. And Burgundy mm -hmm. is a phenomenal example. And then you have uh, Premier crews going north up the slope or south down the slope. And then you have more village wines um, on valley floors. Um, just for sake of comparison, um, Alsace is not a huge region, it's about 40,000 acres, mm. and that's about the size of Napa and Sonoma both. Mm. Um, but within that 40,000 acres, and this blows my mind, I was talking to Patrick about it earlier, there are 4,000 growers and probably about 10,000 individual parcels mm. or vineyards with an average holding from these growers between like one and one and a half acres. Like mm. that's crazy. Mm. So there, there has to be like a strong tie to the families, how long they've been around, 1680 in your guys' case, mm -hmm. access to, to vineyards that you have. Um, how a many lot of, A lot of vineyards have? have been around for in, in Alsace for 500, 400 years. It's insane. Uh. To, to be honest, uh, I don't know what was the size of the vineyard of Mr. Spar in 1680. <laughs> okay. I don't think a lot. I don't <laughs> think a lot. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, we rent to the family Spar 12 hectares. And after, we have long-term contract with Vangor on 60 hectares. Sorry, I'm speaking on metric systems. So. It's okay. No, that's fine. For everyone who hasn't... Excuse me, heard me say that before. Um, a hectare is 2.47 acres. So just multiply hectares um, times two and a half, and there you go for acres. With this size, it's more easiest to understand. With this size, we can produce 50,000 cases of okay, wine. Okay, which is a very, very modest amount yeah. of wine for, oh, yeah. for a winery. Yeah. Are those well, certainly in the U.S. I mean, if we, in comparison for those of you out there, I mean, if that was a California winery, that would be the very definition of boutique. Yeah, yes, it's boutique. Yes, we are, we are boutique. And I'm proud of that. I'm very proud. So, um, what kind of like uh, major cultural influences does the proximity to Germany have? I mean, the language, food. I know. The dialect, the dialect from Alsace, it's really influenced by the, the German language, that's sure. Uh, I prefer to say we influence Germany with our food than the opposite. Uh, huh. I prefer to say that on this way. I've actually heard a phrase that well, I think it might have been in the uh, uh, Chances Robinson's uh, uh, World Atlas of wine. Where she said that um, in Alsace they make Germanic wine the French way. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's that's. A good, good, good uh, opinion. Yeah, I can't I take credit it. for that. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty we, sure that's where I read it. We, we, we produce wine with German name, but on Alsace style. So, uh, German name and a lot of grapes that people associate with Germany. Mm -hmm. And um, there are eight grapes that are legally allowed in, in Alsace, correct? I don't know. It's seven plus the Sauvignon Rose in only one uh, village to produce Klevner from Elegenstein and you have another grapes available on the list only for the Cremant it's Chardonnay you can't produce still Chardonnay in Alsace you can produce only sparkling Chardonnay so um, Alsace is very famous for Cremant Alsace mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we've talked about Cremants before being sparkling wines 
basically coming around from France that aren't Champagne proper. So you have Cremant de Loire, Cremant de Bordeaux, Cremant de Bourgogne, and easily the most widely produced and famous Cremant is that of Alsace, correct? Oh yes, the Alsace produce more than 50% of the total of Cremant in France. The volume in France is 60 million bottles and the Alsace produce 35 million bottles. God, you know, segue. We should drink some bubbles. Oh, absolutely. Can we start the morning off that yep. way? We're pouring. It's so, happening. We are uh, drinking uh, Cremant Rosé. My favorite. It's a pure, pure Pinot Noir made by Saigné. We, we want, we expect to obtain the right to blend red and white in a few years because in terms of consistency, the analogists said, they said it's better. But this today, it's a pure, pure uh, Pinot Noir, 12 months on lease, no malo fermentation, and close to 10 gram residual sugar. So you said uh, it was made saignet? It, it's made by saignet, for sure. Okay. All right. So, I mean, that's a process of bleeding off the clear juice from the skins before a total contact has occurred and you've extracted too much color. It's, it's one of the few ways you can make uh, rosé as opposed to just blending white and red to, together that, mm-hmm. that's great yeah uh, and then he also mentioned they're not doing any any malolactic um, so uh, without further ado I'm getting my nose in this we all wait with bated breath <laughs> you're gonna spit that through your nose yeah that's beautiful yeah and it's de- definitely the way I like to start every afternoon <laughs> Yeah. I don't often get to do that, but uh, cherry blossom, a little pomegranate, some lighter red fruits, and it mm-hmm. it does show some of the autolytic complexity, some of the slight nutty kind of uh, biscuity kind of aromas, and as 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 a fine mousse, that's very pleasant. And if you guys aren't familiar with Cremant d'Alsace or you you've never had one, go check them out. They're a much better value compared to to Champagne proper. And they're just absolutely delightful, and, and this Pierce Bar is, is, is spot on. So, um, um, started talking about um, the grapes. Uh, so, um, there's no way to talk about Alsace without talking about Riesling, which is I'm yeah, most that, looking forward to really getting into. So, I think I have a Riesling fan around the table. <laughs> oh yeah, um, for Ogervistmeiner, well, for that matter. Uh-huh. Well, or the, uh, uh, they're actually they're they're all shown great today. We tried them. This oh, you've morning. got a Gewurztraminer sitting over there as well. Yes, we do. As a matter yes. of fact, I guess um, it would be impossible to come in and talk about Alsatian wine without uh, without bringing those two. Gewurz. But I have a, I have also an interesting blend uh, with dry muscat. There is not a lot of dry muscat on market, so we produce dry muscat. Oh, I just realized I made a mistake. I said Alsatian, and we agreed prior to uh, airing here that we weren't going to say that because. Uh, you said that there's some confusion. When I started this job, there's, uh, it was in '09. Uh, first time I arrived in your country, I said, uh, it's Alsatian wine. And uh, sommelier told me, no, Alsatian, it's a type of dog. It's <laughs> not wine. The sommelier he fucking corrected you. That's awesome. <laughs> no, uh, it's a dog. Oh, God. <laughs> so, and Ed and I were laughing about this because we both kind of had that question in our mind because like, I've heard this for years. And honestly... I think when I was younger, some I've been that douchebag who was like, uh, Alsatian's a dog. Um, and I don't really know shit about breeds, except I love my dogs and that, that's it. But yeah, so Vinda Alsace, 
or Alsatian are legitimate ways to refer to the wines of Alsace people. Or food. Yeah. Or, or food for that matter. <laughs> yeah. so, um, it's not only a dog. Right. <laughs> I don't even know what the dog looks like. I, I don't know. Me either. We're going to have to look. look it up. We're going to find an Alsatian dog. We're here. checking out now. <laughs> We're going to post pictures. Um, so uh, the, the Cremant we just had is a Rosé Cremant. And by law in Alsace. <laughs> That's funny. It... Um, it looks like a German Shepherd, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does make a, that does make a lot of sense. It all fits together now. Um, the uh, rosé in Alsace has to be 100% Pinot Noir. So what we just had was 100% Pinot Noir. Um, but you can't really talk about grapes in Alsace without talking about the four noble grapes, uh, which are Pinot Gris, Muscat, which Patrick mentioned are, are in the next mm-hmm. one we're going to try, the, uh, the blend. Uh, Riesling is king, absolutely king there, and then of course, um, rightly so. Yeah, uh, there's there's one of the Grand Cru's that uh, Sylvaner is uh, allowed to be called a Grand Cru, but otherwise it's those four: Pinot Gris, Riesling, Gewurz, and Muscat um, that can be made into Grand Cru, which is one of the tiers of Alsace. So you have village level, and you said most um, a lot of village level. Uh, is coming from the floor. Like yeah, the to, to put the name of village uh, on, the, on, on the label, first you need, it's important that the board recognized the officiality, the terror, the specialty of this village. Because there is so many, not village, but there is so many parcel name in Alsace. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's impo- and it's with super name, impossible to pronounce, impossible to understand. All right, I, and, you know, and I never really thought about that because technically Alsace is the Appalachian, but when we're talking about Burgundy, um, when we talk about lesser Appalachians, we usually refer to, to villages. Um, but I, th- I think it's more appropriate here. I mean, within these forty thousand acres, you got about one hundred and twenty small villages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What village do you live in, Patrick? Oh, I'm living. I will explain. I don't want to spell you. I just want to <laughs> tell you the name. I'm living in a small village called Fortschwier. Easy enough. Uh-huh. It uh. sounds German, not. Uh, where's Pierspar? Pierspar is located in the village of Bebenheim. Bebenheim is nine kilometers north of Strasbourg. It's really close to a wonderful, nice village called Rigvier. So if you come in Alsace, you have to visit Rigvier. It's gorgeous. All right. So. Would you say it's more appropriate to, to talk about the, the entry level of, of Alsace wines just as Pinot Gris Alsace or Riesling Alsace? Yeah. Uh, Not Riesling Village or... I know. Some villages are popular for the different style of the wine. For example, officially, you have one village for the red. His name is Pinot Noir Otrot. Otrot is the name of the village. It's where they, pr- they produce a very special Pinot Noir. Uh, another example, Elingenstein. Elingenstein produced a special wine called Klevner. Klevner from Elingenstein, it's official. After Riesling from Bebelheim, I don't think it changed a lot of things from Riesling from Rigvier. I'm not sure. Now, are both those villages you mentioned, are they Grand Cru? Alors, Grand Cru, it's never the name of the village. It's the name of the parcel. Of the parcel. Yeah, there is, maybe I... Maybe uh, I do a mistake, but I think it's only name of parcel. So, for example, I think you're correct in that. Yeah. 
For example, the Riesling Chenambour, it's my favorite. Thanks for the validation yeah. there, Ed. Well, I read as well. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing. You're kind of like, you almost stepped into the uh, sommelier that told him how to pronounce it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, it's a dog. Don't worry about right. it. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, to kind of sum up what we just talked about, you have your entry-level appellation, which is the bulk of Vendal Sass made, which will just be labeled Alsace. But then you have this really awesome thing called the Grand Cru tier. And there are, are there 51 Grand Cru? Yes, 51. Currently 51 Grand Cru's um, in Alsace. And they're held to much more strict um, regulation, higher alcohol levels, uh, yield restrictions, a lot of the usual things that, that dictate why you know, one vineyard is recognized more so than, than others. Um, we already talked about Cremant, so you do have Cremant um, as another type. And then the next one we're going to try... Um, Maybe the Riesling. Uh, are we, we're doing the one, right? Uh, I saw that, that the, the one, it's very perfumey. You want to do so the Riesling? So maybe it's better to start with the Riesling and after to move to the one. Got it. We you spoke. N- you never have to just twist my arm about Riesling. Um, so, so we're going to do Riesling, and then we'll try a wine that is known in um, Alsace th- as um, Edelsbicker. And I think someone is very impatient around the table to, to just <laughs> the, Always, always when it comes to so Riesling. It's being grabby. Well, you know, this is uh, one of the most expressive grapes out there. We talk about terroir a lot on the show. And the reason I like Alsatian wine so much, particularly the Rieslings and Gewürztraminers, is because they really show... Um, where they were grown, the atmosphere, the climate, all those things that go in terroir. And man, and not only that, but man, if you get your hands on like a really old Alsatian Riesling, they just, they age beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love oh. the old Riesling. And for me, the Riesling has to be the ambassador of the wine from Alsace. It's really the grape, the iconic grape from Alsace. Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, it's it, un- it's passed over by a lot of americans i think there's people don't get it they think they're sweet they're i don't uh, you know but even a sweeter style riesling is not what i think most people are attributing when they say sweet wine they're thinking of blue bottle uh, right yeah right that four dollar bottles of uh riesling then the problem of the competition on the riesling for 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 us it's not only a problem of sweetness it's problem of price too Mm. Uh, if if I wanted, I could produce a sweet Riesling. It's not so difficult, but I, I will never be at the price of my German competitor. It's impossible with our c- c- cost production. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, we we need to work in this country on getting more people to embrace Alsace. Um, so I I think consumers I mean, they just don't get it. They have these misconceptions. They don't realize how food savvy they are. They don't realize how beautiful they are. How, how age worthy they are. And, you know, candidly, in the words of the amazing uh, Dougie Frost, if you don't like Riesling, you're an asshole. <laughs> Sums I you were going to say Dougie Fresh. I was like, that would have been awesome if you would have dropped the Doug, <laughs> Doug Fresh quote in the middle of a wine podcast. Yeah, well, I think he, he, he liked Riesling, too, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, I think he mentioned in that track with, uh, with, with Slick Rick, you know, talking about Alsatian Riesling. So we got this... Uh, we got this beautiful Riesling. Um, there's citrus there, sweet citrus, yeah. lime, um, florality, lots of florality to it, uh, blossom fruits, and uh, some more exotic uh, flowers. 
there is a degree of minerality, and then yep. mm-hmm. minerality within the sommelier world, in the wine world, is, is a polarizing topic. Um, but regardless of where you think minerality comes from, terroir, or certain uh, chemical things happening uh, in the wine, you got to admit that there's some earthy, pretty cool aromas to this that mm-hmm. some people call slaty. Um, slaty? What slate. Slate. Some people call petrol. Uh, for mm-hmm. me, I, I usually say petrol. Petrol. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it depends. It depends. If I'm with, uh, if I have some guests, consumers, if I start to expand the wine, smell the petrol, it's hard to sell after. So when we are on specialists, right. you can say, we can say petrol. I typically don't share this with consumers. I guess this would be the exception. But one of my favorites is a Converse sneaker. Like brand new Converse sneaker, when you open up the box, mm-hmm. it just has this that that kind of. Um, There's no way to explain it. Do you remember but, old cassette tapes? Yeah, remember I was that had alive. Kind of had a little bit of that when you like unfold certain ones, and they had that kind of weird, yeah. sweet, plasticky. Yeah, not all of them did, but yeah, I never heard that before. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I'll put that on the descriptor. So, um, what would what food would you serve this with, Patrick? Oh, for me, it's fish. For me, it's fish. Mm. It's salmon or trout. It's perfect with fish. And so I, we're sitting here in one of my restaurants at our Table 9 studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have contemporary Asian cuisine here and also have a Thai restaurant. These wines across the board pair beautifully, perfect. very beautifully with uh, Asian cuisine. And, you know, I think that that's kind of uh, one of those areas where people get, they just fall into the habit of, I'll just drink beer. With mm-hmm. with uh, Thai food or yeah. whatnot, and uh, like oh, well, wine's just going to, you know, contradict it and butt up against it. But I mean, uh, Alsatian wines almost across the board will pair very well, even with curries. Some very really strongly flavored dishes. This works very well. You know, our motto in the Pierre Spar Winery it's to produce food friendly wines. So we want wines with all the expression of our terroir of our climate because we have a very continental climate, but we don't want to be over the palate. So just well balanced. That's the most important for us. Really the most. Um, and, and Arthur mentioned, you know, the sweet versus dry. I mean, this is uh, this is a quite dry Riesling compared to what most people are really thinking when they think Riesling. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Vendal Sass can come out with more than moderate levels of body in some cases, whereas the German Rieslings tend to be a little bit lighter in body, a little bit yeah. lower in alcohol. And this comes back to something important in the region is that uh, I mentioned all those vineyards are on the western side of Alsace, on the slopes of the Vosges, and the Vosges um, creates something that, uh, called rain shadow. So whenever you have um, uh, vineyards on the opposite side uh, of a, a geologic structure, uh, like a, a mountain, that mountain is going to arrest any kind of maritime influences or precipitation coming over, and as a result, you get very little rainfall, you get a lot of sunshine. So mm-hmm. even though we're pretty far north... In layman's terms, a mountain blocks the weather from the no. other side. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> I really like the way I said it better. Oh, it sounded okay. it sounded way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> but what Ed said, damn it. Um, I'm here to translate Arthur. Right. You were worried about your accent. I'm here to translate him, not you. Yeah, yeah. I think people understand him more than me sometimes. Um so anyways, with all that sun, you can get very ripe grapes, and a lot of the wines coming out of Alsace are in a dry style, so you, you ferment that sugar uh, dry, and you end up with 
12 fives, 13% alcohol, and then that's going to be a, a bit more than a lot of Germans you're going to encounter. Yes, because the German style, it's to block the fermentation in order to have a very low level of alcohol, but very high sweetness, but very high acidity too. It's a special style, and I have to respect this style because it's very popular in your market. It's a huge volume, huge volume. They manage the volume, the business on the wrestling on your market, not the Alsace. But well, we don't have to be a copy of the German wrestling. We have to have our own identity. Not at all. This or that, you know. And, 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 and some of the wines that have a little bit of sweetness to them or lighter in body might be a little bit more suited to certain foods or another. But you can't deny the versatility of, of these wines as far as food goes. Mm -hmm. And just a little asterisk, Patrick mentioned fish. Uh, Ed mentioned some great food as well. I just want to throw out... Anytime you have acid in food, you need acid in wine. So if you have ceviche, if you have a citrus sauce on that fish or whatever, think about acidic wines. Um, same thing with salt. Salt makes you salivate. Acid makes you salivate. They complement one another. If you got some kind of salty component in food, you're never going to go wrong with a wine that has good acid to it. And actually, wines that have a little bit of sweetness go pretty damn kick-ass with salt-based uh, dishes, too. And spicy dishes. Uh, Definitely I mean, spicy. A, a sweeter-style wine, people really discount them almost offhand, and there's nothing more beautiful than a nice, nice spicy Thai dish with a, a nice uh, sweeter-style Riesling. But Arthur alluded to it about, you know, the kind of a lighter, more delicate style um, of winemaking in Germany, and where historically in Alsace have been a little bit... Uh, rounder and, and, and beefier. I don't know if beefier is necessarily the word, but I'm, I don't. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like over in modern times, we started to see a little bit more of uh, the two styles coming together in a more similar way, um, where Germany's oh. kind of meeting in the middle a little well, bit. I, I think the German uh, currently are moving. To driest to wine, mm -hmm. we Alsace didn't change a lot of things, but that's true that the the German become to produce more and more dry wrestling and very good product. Uh, I don't want to say that there is there is not very good wrestling in Germany. No, 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 no. You uh, can't piss off a whole there country. Is, no, no, there is <laughs> really very. I think Alsace well, would say, please actually, don't. Yeah, right. The, the only thing people want to compare. Alsace and Germany in terms of price. They used to say, oh, but the German wines are less expensive. But if you take a German wine, a German Riesling, on the same style of the Alsace, is at the same price than in Alsace. They are, they're fairly priced. Yeah. So um, I would agree there has been a strong push for a number of years in Germany to like revitalize, um, reinvigorate the, the, the appreciation of dry Riesling or Trochen Riesling and in those instances, um, they are more, more similar to the, the Alsace style. But they are, to Patrick's point, uh, they're also about the same price point because mm -hmm. those are made by a lot of really badass producers that are a part of a um, promotional body that's really been kind of pushing it. And they're, they're premier producers by and large. Um, I've seen, I, th I think one of the hurdles uh, being in the restaurant industry with uh, selling Alsatian wine is that when you're getting German Rieslings um, that, you know, because they're kind of air on the side of too much information on the mm -hmm. label, you very often know the ripeness of the grape at harvest and whatnot. And 
you know, when I get Alsatian Rieslings, I, you know, it'll say Riesling. And I've got my producer, and unless I know that producer, it's a little bit harder for me to determine from the label um, mm -hmm. if there's some residual sugar in that or if it's going to be a drier style. Is there any kind of movement to okay. maybe you know, uh, address that? The change, there will some new thing in Alsace. Uh, we will be able and obliged to indicate dry wrestling on, on the label. But to indicate dry wrestling, you have to be less than 4 grams residual sugar. To be honest, uh, speak about the residual and, no, and don't speak about the acidity. Mm -hmm. There's no interest. Because I can do a totally flappy wine only right. with 4 grams residual. And, right. and a very nervous wine with 8 or 9 grams. It depends on your acidity. Sure, which Arthur just addressed, you know. Yeah, and there are regulations in place. Uh, depending mm -hmm. on the residual sugar you have, um, you have to have an acid structure, um, total acidity within a particular range. Mm -hmm. uh, which one of the things that I, I love about um, European wines at large, but, uh, you know, France, uh, well, I'll just say European wines at large. The, the, the systems in place regulate as insurances of quality in certain styles that are reflective of a cultural tradition. You want to translate that, Ed? No, I think you did all right that, there. I think that was okay. That's all right. Not bad for 45 minutes of sleep, man. <laughs> I we? don't know how you survive. Oh, that. God. Damn insomnia. And I took enough sleep medicine to kill a horse. Now, I woke up hallucinating, but, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that washed away with a shower and a cup of coffee. Uh, and now a glass of Riesling. But did we already pour the... Um, the gentile? No. Oh, we're heading. It's not officially a gentile. Not, okay, not. I don't have the right to say gentile. I have the right to say to, it's an Edelsvicke. All right. But if you want to produce a gentile, gentile is a blend. In Alsace, when you blend two grapes, the wine is an Edelsvicke. So it means when you when you have when you produce an Edelsvicke, you are not allowed to put the name of the grape on the front label. It's forbidden. And in the blend, in the Edelsvicker, there is a special blend called the Gentile. Uh, it's with a noble road only. But to ha use the name of Gentile, you need to be accredited by the Council of the Wine from Alsace. And there is a famous producer on the Gentile. And don't, we don't want to be a copy of him. So we create our own blend. And his, the blend of this name is the one. So this is another category of Alsace wines. Uh, we've talked about the Alsace Appalachian. We've talked about Grand Cru, Cremant. You also have this this wine that's a blend of grapes um, called uh, Edelsvicker. And uh, this is the oftentimes these are modestly priced wines. Uh, this is modestly priced. It's absolutely delicious. Seems a little bit even more floral than mm. the the Riesling to me, and perhaps a little bit less slaty. But because the <clears throat> I control, yes. The, the Riesling was on 14. On 14, there was more acidity, and the one is on 15. 15 it was warmer, so more aromatic profile. So the first nose you have on this wine, it's the dry muscat. It's dry muscat, Riesling, and Pinot Gris. We didn't, haven't addressed it yet either, but this is a, a quite uh, dry growing 
area as well of France, right? I mean, you don't see nearly. Oh, yeah, the, the, um, I mentioned it briefly. Minimum oh, amount. Well, we talked of, about the rain shadow. Which, yeah, yeah, but the, I mean, it's it's entirely different climate. It's about eight inches of rainfall or so a year, I think. Uh, um, the city of Colmar, it's the driest city in France. I had no idea. Yeah, it it not means that we have more sun than in the south. Unfortunately, it could be cloudy during two months. But in terms of volume of water, we have less rain than in the city of Nice in the south of France. Mm. Wow. And the irrigation is forbidden. I love learning shit. Yeah. That's a new one. I'm taking that one. Yeah. Taking a note. Yeah. So um, we're not trying any today, but there are some pretty famous dessert wines in yeah. Alsace, correct? The late harvest. The late harvest and the noble roads. I have a very, very, very special noble roads at the winery but we just produced 2,000 bottles of this I think I have less than 1,000 today and this wine I think we did one time in the entire life of the winery because it was uh, in 09 for the, the crop the vintage 08 we didn't harvest a parcel of Gevursamina because there is not enough maturity in uh, October 08 and we forgot these parcels and we did the <laughs> harvest in January with minus 12 degrees Celsius so the grapes were totally frozen we needed two days to crush the grapes because it was just ice cube and it created a wonderful wonderful noble road uh, technically it's an ice wine but it's forbidden in Alsace you know, mm -hmm. we don't have the right to use the name ice wine. It's only Germany, Austria, and Canada. So we produce a non-official ice wine with the Gewürz Samina, it, but it's a noble road. It's amazing. This one is amazing. And it's incredibly affordable as well, like, uh, if you can find it. The Vindash <laughs> Tardive and uh, they're the late harvest the, and the SGN. His... Um, I'm, I just, oh, his one. Okay, the, the, that the, his one. 2008 Noble Road. The, 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 to be honest, I think I offered more bottles to my guests than I sell. Because what, what is. What I mean, is I the, think we're guests. Well, <laughs> you, have to, you have to come and see me. Oh, uh, the you can yeah, Done. I guarantee that's Done. But to be honest, what is the price for a bottle like that? You can sell it at $200, $300, or you can make as a gift. For someone just to show him you are important for me, I offer you this bottle. So I prefer to offer 2,000 bottles, less and more, don't change anything for the winery. One bottle for a friend could change a lot of things. So in life, not, it's, on, it's not only business. Not only business. And what kind of food would you, uh, if you were to send uh, some kind of food for... For this special wine? To whoever you're giving a, a gift bottle of Noborat to, what kind of food uh, would you the best give them as well? A nice piece of Roquefort. Absolutely. Cheese. <laughs> nice blue cheese. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And for you guys that don't dig on blue cheese, because blue veiny cheese can be very polarizing, try it with a sweet wine. And mm. classic wines out there for it. Gewürztraminer. Uh, just you know, uh, it's, Lisa, it's such it's so sexy with something words. with a lot of residual sugar to it. Um, port, Sauterne, Selection Grand Noble, mm. uh, or the 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 noble rot wine coming out of Alsace, um, even Tokay Azu uh, out of Hungary. 
these wines with that amount of residual sugar will actually tame down the funk of blue cheese mm-hmm. and that brininess and then the, the salt and the brininess will enhance and bring out the fruit mm-hmm. and actually subdue the excessive amount of sugars that these, these wines often have. It is a beautiful pairing and I've turned a lot of people on the blue cheese that don't dig on blue cheese by pairing it with a, a decadently sweet wine. It's gorgeous because the cheese is less salty and the wine is less sweet. Exactly. So it's absolutely well balanced. And I'm not a cheese eater and I'm not a sweet fan. But the both together, it's just terrible. You realize Patrick just did what you normally do, which is take everything I said and put it <laughs> and trans- into like... We're, we're, our job is here to translate Put it into you. ten words. <laughs> like, you're quick, Patrick. <laughs> Jumped right on that. But that's what pairing's all about. And I, I don't. We haven't really done a whole uh, episode here about pairing exclusively. But it is transcendent because you take a wine that perhaps you wouldn't want to have more than a glass of on its own or a cheese that maybe you wouldn't want to have more than a couple bites because it's not your thing. It's too funky, too mm-hmm. funny, whatever. But when you put those two things together, they're greater than the sum of their parts. And, you know, we'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point. We ought to do an episode th- on pairing. Why the hell haven't we done that? I, That's on the radar I think soon, it's just we just man. mention it so often, but I think it, it, it deserves its own there show. There should be a total food and beverage Tutorial. Which we totally could have done today. We, if we had an Alsatian chef here with us, this would be a four-part episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have a chef from Alsace? No, oh. I, I, you're supposed to bring one. This <laughs> traveling chef. But, but you know the, the the most difficult uh, thing for me for the food here because one of my brothers living in the United States, and I'm happy for that. But when I'm trying to cook, as I do at home, I have it's not it's never the same taste due to the raw material. Your mm-hmm. cream is not our cream. Right. The, the, the products are different. So you can following the same recipe, the result is a little bit different. Yeah. But, and I, I'm totally honest, I'm traveling a lot in the United States. I spend between six to, eight, uh, six to nine weeks per year in the United States. And the food is delicious. The food is delicious, I'm sorry. Uh, the, 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 the European people are super arrogant regarding the food. And the best restaurant I found were in United States. So what are some of the, the favorite foods you've had as you've traveled around? Sorry, excuse me? What, what are some of the favorite uh, dishes you've had um, as you've traveled? American in the United in, States. In, in the United States, yeah. This is the, the country where I can hit the best burger, the best tacos. <laughs> <laughs> You're perpetuating yeah. a stereotype. No, no, no. no. Damn it. Burgers are good. No, right. Burgers are good. It's burgers not, are good. I, I don't speak burger about uh, the chain. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah. you can find an Irish pub in middle of, in a small street in New York, and you hold it for a burger, and it's always delicious. So... I love, and I just hit burger when I'm here. The tacos, I'm totally fall in love for the tacos because we don't have, I'm sorry, the only Mexican food we have, it's all del paso in box. So (laughs) you can understand easily that I love your food. That's tragic too. We do get spoiled with certain kinds of food, but you know, I mean. For sure, and then we we miss out on other stuff, things that aren't pasteurized you know right exactly um things are over regulation but that aren't entirely yeah. farmed to fork and but to explain what food what type of food i appreciate i'm more a simple guy so i appreciate the casual thing easy to understand i have trouble when i can when i don't understand what i will eat mm. so something simple but you make super salad super pasta the the meat 
is very, very delicious in your country. One thing, the steakhouse in your country begin to be too expensive. Beginning? <laughs> They've been too expensive no. for as long as I've been alive. I'm sorry for that, but for, for the price of a steak, I can have, and I promise you it's true, a two-star Michelin Alsace. <laughs> right, yeah. So I'm sorry. 14 courses. Yeah. How was your breakfast this morning? I don't remember why I ate it. It was the most incredible place I've ever been for breakfast. Thank you, Arthur. I promise you, I can't explain you what I ate, but it was super good. Uh, we went to Milk Tooth. Yeah. So, and I think we're still stuffed a few hours later, even though we're about to have a really badass lunch here at Rogue. So, well, before we get too far into uh, what you're going to have for lunch, I wanted to get a little bit deeper because we haven't really gotten too deep into PS Bar quite yet, and like it's really interesting history. And I don't want to—I don't want to let you escape the show here before we get into like the the interesting history because I mean. As we said, it's a very old company, but uh, okay. kind of under your management since 2009. Yeah. And so that's... So, okay. So it's, unfortunately, it's a family story. So the family story, someone started well and finished well, sometimes not. So the, this one really was on bankruptcy in 2009. So we decided to vote. When I, see, when I say uh, we, it's because I manage another winery. So today I managed two winery because the two are on the same place, same location, but with two different equipment. It's not the same grape, not the same vinification. It's totally different, totally different. But for us, to have the opportunity to buy a winery like Pierre Par for us, it was um, a lucky day this day. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, the family is not involved on business, but we, uh, we rent vineyard from the family. So Pierre Spar, it was one of the greatest brands in Alsace. Uh, it it's a negotiant, so mm -hmm. you have to know that uh, in Alsace, I don't, maybe the same in Bordeaux, the richest family are the negotiants. It's not the independent, not the co-op, it's the negotiants. So Pierre Spar was one of the great families of negotiants. So since we bought this winery, we work hard to recreate a style, recreate a philosophy. The philosophy is food-friendly way. That's the most, most, most important. To stay humble, my dream is to be one day number one on your market. But it's not because I will give plenty of bonus, I will give plenty of goodies. I want to be number one because consumer will find that our wine is the well-balanced brand in Alsace. Yeah, I mean, it was historically, I mean, prior to your management, it had started to get a reputation of just kind of being mediocre. Um, and it wasn't high on everybody's list. And like, you're really working very hard and have done an amazing job of restoring honor uh, to, to the you. family name. Um, these uh, wines are beautiful. I just tasted the, uh, the, the Pinot Gris. Gris. Yeah. Um, the body on that's beautiful. You want an, an idea for a very nice food pairing for the Pinot Gris. Do a mushroom risotto and put some scallops on the top. Sold. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, that Done. sounds absolutely terrible. And there are, aren't a lot of Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigios that could, could stand up with that kind of pairing with that kind of flavor. Um, you know, there are a lot of very inexpensive Pinot Grigios coming out of Italy. Um, 
you have a, a lot coming out of California and elsewhere in the world. But you need to have a, a Pinot Gris with some complexity, um, some depth, and, and, and reach on the palate and mouthfeel if you're going to do it with mushroom risotto. Yeah. I, I don't want to opposite the Pinot Grigio and the Pinot Gris. I explained one day to one, one restaurant, you wanted to put out the list, the Pinot Grigio, and to switch with the Pinot Gris. And said, I said it's a mistake. There is some people they want Pinot Grigio and some people they want Pinot Gris. It's not the same wine. It's not really totally the same grapes, not the same climate. It's too different. You don't have to switch one per one. It's different. They, they are very, very different wines. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. The, this is more, you are more on the smoky aromas, it's more full-bodied. But there is a market for the Pinot Grigio. I don't want to oppose the both. And Pinot Gris, in my opinion, it's the best uh, wine for uh, Thanksgiving. Not for the turkey, not for the turkey, because it's easy to, to pair turkey. It's regarding the sides you have around. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's salt. And with the Pinot Gris, it could be perfect. Well, that's the best thing about Thanksgiving, is mm -hmm. you take all those things and just blend it together <laughs> yeah, yeah. into one, one lump. You know, it's like Patton Oswalt's take on uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, food bowl. You know, it just I'm gonna take all these ingredients and just put them into one pile yeah. and drink Pinot Gris with it. No, no, I'm not sure the result when you mix all is good, but <laughs> I'm not super sure. Uh, that's another American thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> claim that as American. All right, so I don't do that. It's an Arthur thing. However, he goes to it, KFC and uh, just gets everything. No, I don't. Thank you. I've never had a, a food bowl from KFC. Um, but if you've got leftover, well, when you have leftovers of Thanksgiving, you take all that shit, put it together, and put it into like a patty. That makes for a damn good sandwich. Uh, just fry that bitch. So up. Th Thanksgiving frittata. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> put it put it on a bun, man. Um, so uh, we have uh, Gewurztraminer. No, try. no, we have no? to fin. Yes, we have to finish with the Gewurztraminer because it was the Pinot Gris. And I, I would rank this as number two, right underneath oh, un most underappreciated varietals in the world, and perhaps it's because it's uh, no one knows how to spell it. It's one of the most commonly misspelled words. That's why you, a lot of people say Gewurz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? we. And we say in Alsace we just say Gewurz. <laughs> See, yeah, yes. And and when I have to write the name, I just put JW. <laughs> For the rest, we don't need. So this this so uh, umlauts the umlauts screw everyone up. <laughs> this Gewurz seminar is really on the rose petal side. Oh yeah. Alors, to be honest, I explained during many many years that the Gewurz seminar is on the rose petal, but to be honest, I did not know why. And last year, I have some rose at home uh, in my garden, and I smell the garden, the, the rose, and the rose smell the Gewürztraminer. So I don't know if the Gewürztraminer smell the rose or the opposite, but it's true, it's the same. Another common descriptor would be like lychee. Mm -hmm. um, Gewürz, out of all these, is easily contends to be one of the most aromatic. Um, it almost verges on like air freshener, like it is just so floral. Um, doesn't usually have the, the kind of linear palette, the more austere, uh, leaner palette um, of some other floral grapes that are out there. It tends to have a pretty nice weight and fatness mm. to it. Um, and it's a little bit less in the way of acidity, too, but it's still very food savvy. We, we, 
I don't want, we don't want to produce uh, over pellets, gave us seminar. Because sometimes it's very good to have a lot of aromas. And after, for the food pairing, ooh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's delicious. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, there's like a, I always, I always get like a chestnut honey, like a little hint of chestnut honey, one of my favorite things when I'm in Italy. Um, it's just yeah, kind of like that no earthy honeyness. Yeah, you can. Aromatics in that wine. You can go sure. on and on all day. Um, so, like, why would you say that people should drink more wines from Alsace? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I say they have to. I would love they do. <laughs> please. <laughs> please, please do that. Uh, it's because the, um, the style of the wine from Alsace are really, really food friendly that's that's for me the most important after there is so many producer and so a large diversity of taste i can understand i can understand that some consumer are a little bit disappointed because sometimes they buy a riesling from alsace with three grams residual sugar and the next day he has 10 grams so i can understand so the best it's to be loyal to the brand and be loyal to Piage Par first. <laughs> well, but but of course. Yeah. This has been awesome. Like, yeah. This yeah. has been extremely informative and probably one of the least expletive rich episodes we've had. Just It is. I think maybe a couple in there. <laughs> but you know, I think for me and I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I think this just sealed the deal for me. I really need to go and visit Alsace. I haven't been, you know. and like I'm, I'm just, of course, you know, everybody wants to hit Bordeaux and Burgundy and whatnot, but I mean, for me, my top, my top uh, wish on the wish list would be Alsace. Join us. And, uh, Join us. And, I will be happy and, and, and to welcome you. So. <laughs> we'll be super happy. We will have very fun time, I promise you. And it's, uh, I've heard that the, the, the villages are just beautiful. The, uh, a step the, back the, in time. The, the, the villages are like Dysneyland, but it's not Dysneyland. Yeah. Uh, the, the winery, my office was built in the 1390. Wow. Yes. Your office was built yeah. in the 1390. Yeah. I'm working every day in building built in 1390. And it's not, uh, it's usual in Alsace. It's really usual. It's not usual here. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, we're only a 200-year-old country. But, you know, well. it's not your fault, and I don't have to be proud about that. That's the life. <laughs> right, yeah. That's the life. He didn't build it in 1390. Absolutely, right. absolutely. I'm just saying there could be some, like, little dobe structures or something from some agave cultivating people that we could yeah. walk through, but yeah. you just don't really have that. Right, so. right, absolutely. But well, pl please join join me at the one where I will be very, very happy. Yeah, and we encourage everybody to go out there and, and visit. You know, if you're going to be in France, don't just plop down in Paris. You know, there's uh, there's a lot going on outside, especially in wine country, but you're, it's not only vineyards. I think that's always the misperception with a lot of uh, people that aren't in our industry. They're like, oh, well, I don't want to go to, you know, this outside of Paris or outside of this because it's just all farmland and vineyards. But there's people there making wonderful food I, isn't uh you have more uh michelin star restaurants oh, in yes. alsace than it's, any I, other I, region I, I don't want to say a mistake but regarding the size i think I, I read that one time it's 
the, the, the part of France where you have the most large concentration of star Michelin. I think, I think you're correct. Yeah, that's what I and read somewhere. You have the famous, famous three star Michelin, Auberge de Lille. It's just delicious. Just delicious. And from Paris to Alsace, now with the new fast train, mm -hmm. it's two hours and a half. Oh, okay. To jump from Paris to Alsace. Done. Done. You, you can come for one day, I you hit at Auberge de Lille, and you're back to Paris. I still haven't booked my July vacation. Perhaps that will be it. Yeah. What are you doing in a three weeks? <laughs> ah, my, friend, my friend, if you want to have very, very fun time, join me end of July because we have a big, big fair in the city of Colmar. Uh, it's uh, an amazing party during 10 days. That's so, already duly noted. Yeah, if, if you don't need down. to sleep too much... Well, Join Arthur me. doesn't sleep too much. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> I'm good. Join me. Join me. It's amazing, an amazing time during 10 days. It's party every night, every night, every night in the city. Well, you are, you're a perfect guest because you just segued <laughs> us right into our very last question. Just so after we partied for 10 days, <laughs> uh, do you have a hangover cure? Do you have? A cure for the hangover? What is it, hangover? I'm sorry. Uh, English. The morning after drinking too much. I know me, uh, my, uh, me. I have to go to to the office. So it's <laughs> that is definitely not a cure. So during ten days, I return. I return at two o'clock in the morning at home, and I'm at the office at nine. And every day I say stop. Tonight I j I want to stay quiet. So you're in moderation. And every day, every day I return to the party, and every day it's the same story. <laughs> <laughs> We I created. In this fair, I created a cocktail bar where all the cocktails are realized only with Cremant d'Alsace. It's Cremant d'Alsace plus different things. We like cocktails. But it's cocktails with no water, only sparkling Cremant. Well, it, that's like 85% water. That, you yeah. know, that, that, that counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're just hydrating yourself. I created, <laughs> right. I created plenty of different cocktails with Cremant and whiskey, for example. And you can do That's a much more elegant way of rehydrating yourself. I'm like, yeah. I was thinking of our times in Miami when we get so drunk, uh, and then we're like, we go to the Deuce to rehydrate with beer. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. the beer that costs 25 bucks that comes out in a fucking oh fish no, bowl. the deuce, not your damn tourist places in Miami. I was really fucking hungry, man. <laughs> and that's well, it's not a funnier story, but no. anyways. <laughs> Well, thank Another you so much, man. This was memory. great. Um, where can they? Where can people find uh, Pierre Spar online to look at your offerings? Uh, we have a web website. Okay. So it's uh, uh, oh, sorry, my English begin to be sad. So it's uh, www. Vin, uh, v i n s the slash no not slash I sorry I don't have the translation dash. it's the, the dash yeah dash beyond the number six it's like that <laughs> there we go s-p-r-r-r dot com perfect well uh, we will have the link up on our website as well thank you so uh, which is shiftdrinkpodcast.com follow us on Instagram shiftdrinkpodcast um, we also post our we repost a lot of articles etc on Facebook um, as I typically mention we don't We don't tweet too much out, pretty much just on new episode day. But, um, you know, please go on iTunes, uh, Google Store, whatever, and, and please rate us. It helps uh, more than you can imagine. 
And uh, if you ever have any questions about anything, please uh, shoot us an email. We've had several people that have shot questions over about sparkling wine, uh, Cremant, uh, rum, etc. And so I'm expecting a, a deluge of emails coming through uh, about the wines of Alsace. Um, Thank you so much for coming to the show. Yeah, this my was pleasure. Awesome. Really, my Patrick, pleasure. Really, cheers! Thank cheers. you very much. And sorry for my accent. <laughs> <laughs>